We're going to continue looking at the uh, letter to the Ephesians, and uh, if you have the little insert uh, there in your bulletin, you can look at this. It's going to be easier for you, I think, to follow along with this reading than it will be for you to try to find these scriptures on the fly uh, as we go along. Uh, but let me, let me begin, and you follow along. There's the insert in your bulletin. Take it out, and, and we'll start with Ephesians 6. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now from Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet, surely my right hand is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And from Isaiah, therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. And from Revelation chapter 1, in his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. And finally, the reading from Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is the word of God. What do you think of when you hear of a sword? I mean, everybody is familiar with a sword, and all of you have some image that first uh, springs to mind. Maybe you think of uh, uh, a short sword, something like uh, the famous sword from the Lord of the Rings, a sting, a little stabbing short uh, blade. Perhaps you think of a long broadsword like the English knights used to, uh, used to use, or the Vikings uh, from the uh, Celtic lands. Maybe you think of a scimitar, the curved uh, broad blade that was used in the, uh, in the ancient Near East and, and the Far East. Uh, maybe you think of Errol Flynn and his, his little wimpy foil. Uh, well, he, Errol Flynn actually, some of you don't know who Errol Flynn is, that is your problem. You need to go look up Errol Flynn. Uh, some of us think uh, of, of uh, maybe a samurai sword, one of uh, the most famous, of course, of swords in the world. Whatever your image is, Paul uses a word that means a short uh, stabbing sword that was often uh, uh, sharp on both sides that was very common not only in the Roman world but in all of the ancient Near East. Uh, why? Why did these earliest combatants, these earliest uh, warriors, carry a short sword? Uh, the reason was because, one, metal was expensive, and so they had to make them small. Another reason was combat in those days, unlike 
some of modern warfare, not all of modern warfare, but unlike much of modern warfare, battle was joined face-to-face. You could see the other person's eyes. You could smell their body. Uh, You were in a death grip. Someone was going to die or be injured in close proximity. And Paul is talking to us about taking all of the armor of God and putting this armor on, and he doesn't say anything about taking it off, which is what I've been trying to explain to you, that we are in a battle. But we don't wage war against flesh and blood. It's not political parties. It's not social. It's not racial. It's none of that. It's not even worldviews and ideas that we are so much combating although those do enter in at times. But we are facing the, what he calls strongholds that are out there in the world, principalities and powers and rulers of this world. In other words, Paul is saying there are not only battles you must fight in the mortal flesh, but there is an unseen world that we must come to grips with that is behind and driving so much of what we see happening in the world today. Now, Christians, as I've told you, uh, tend to fall anywhere along a a spectrum, uh, anywhere from we deny the existence of Satan and the devils and demons and demonic power to where we become totally and completely obsessed with them to the point that everything is the devil, everything is demonic, and... uh, uh, I've tried to tell you is, is it, it's really none of that. It's not somewhere in the middle. It's both. It is the unseen world, but it is also human beings that are resonating and vibrating with that unseen world and giving themselves over to it. And the Apostle Paul says very clearly, put on the armor of God. Don't take it off. You're in a battle against these unseen forces now equipped. Yourself, And we come to this final piece of the armor, and uh, he says it's a sword. Let me read something to you from John Stott. It's one of the commentaries that I've, I've used throughout the series and enjoyed very much. Uh, and when Dr. Stott says something, uh, you need to perk up and listen. Here, listen to what he says here. This is really great, and then we'll jump into uh, the sword of the Spirit. Here then... Uh, are the six pieces which together make up the whole or the entire armor of God. The girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel boots, and the faith shield. Salvation's helmet and the Spirit's sword. They constitute, listen, they constitute God's armor. Paul is not channeling a Roman soldier. He's not necessarily thinking of a Roman soldier, although there are parallels between soldiers and every kind of soldier till today. But what Paul is referring to and what Stott points out so beautifully is that it is God's armor that he has in mind. You're not putting on Roman armor. You're not putting on Assyrian armor or Mesopotamian armor or Israelite armor. You're putting on the very armor of God Himself. In other words, Paul has explained to us that what is in view here 
is God himself as the divine warrior, the God who comes into creation and wages battle for you. And not merely for you, but as you. In other words, he steps onto the battlefield. All of you have seen a movie or read a book somewhere where the two champions challenge one another to the battle and the army stays behind and whichever general or captain or soldier becomes victorious in this one-on-one combat saves the whole nation. The story we're all familiar with, of course, is David and Goliath. Where David goes into the valley. Not of the valley of the shadow of death, but the valley of real death. And there he faces Goliath, the serpent, the enemy of God. And he defeats him. And because he defeats him, everybody enjoys the victory. And this is what Stott is trying to get across. And this is what I have labored uh, to get across to you as well. It's God's armor. And we have seen, continuing his thought, he supplies it himself. Yet, listen folks, it is our responsibility to take it up and put it on. And to use it confidently against the powers of evil. Many of you are military people. We have the privilege of having many military folks in our, in our church. And I, know, I don't know everything about uh, what goes on behind the scenes in the military, but if one of you come out, if, if Colonel O'Connor tells you, go get your weapons and you meet me out here at this helicopter because we're going to leave, and you come out in your running shorts and your Nikes, uh, Colonel O'Connor's going to, well, never mind what he's going to do to you. <laughs> we are to put on the full armor of God. We are to prepare ourselves. And so many Christians don't do it. And it's not a ritual where you get up, as uh, Scott Warman was saying a few weeks ago when we were talking, he says, I used to get up and, and it was a ritual. I would put on the helmet and I would put on the, you know, sort of in, in some spiritual, I don't know, subjective way, he would add all these pieces. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul is saying, this is you. This is who you are. Take it up, put it on, and go into the battle and don't ever take it off. Because only then will it sustain you. Only then will you be able to be victorious. So he talks about the sword of the Spirit. And and as we've done, we're going to say, okay, here's your outline. What is it? Okay, why, uh, why do we need it? And finally, how did Paul understand it? In other words, what was behind in the apostle's mind? I'm saying it was not... Uh, a Roman soldier per se, although there's some parallels, I'm saying that Paul was drawing from the rich, deep soil of the Old Testament, what the Old Testament had to say. And that's why I read you these couple of scriptures here uh, from Isaiah and Hosea. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, this time, Paul immediately tells us what the sword of the Spirit is. And what is it? It's the Word of God. He doesn't leave any question what is... What is it? What's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. So the question is, then what? What is the Word of God? Now, when I was preparing this and reading and getting myself all squared away for what is the Word of God, I wanted to give up right there because it's such a massive and huge uh, subject that how could we possibly do it in, uh, in one uh, sermon? 
So what I've planned to do, instead of preaching to you for four and a half hours, is with the next six months, we will... No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. All right. No. I'm going to complete it today. I'm going to give you an overview of what Paul and others were talking about with the Word of God. So here we go. What is it? What is the Word of God? First of all, obviously, it's anything God says verbally or otherwise, if He has other ways of communicating. But when God speaks, that is His Word. Now, I know that there are some of you here in our church that actually believe that God speaks to you. And perhaps He does. I don't know. I think there's some medication for that. But if you... If you say, I have people say to me, I've had Presbyterian ministers come and say, you know, God spoke to me and said this and this and this. Do you realize, my question is, what do you mean He spoke to you? Well, He gave me a feeling, or He said this, or I had this intuition, or I said that. And all of that's great. Maybe He did speak to you, I don't know. But but you you must at least admit this, that it is completely subjective and there's no way for us to test it. Yes, there is simply no way for us to test it. So I don't know if God speaks to you. If He does, wonderful. I'm glad you have that. I'm your pastor. I have been to seminary. I am way more spiritual than anyone in this room. And I have yet to hear His voice. What does that make me? Never mind. But when I pick up my Bible and I read it, I know He's speaking to me, yes? I have no question about that because those are his words, okay? So wherever you fall, and if you have questions about that, I'm happy to talk to you. And I know that there are occasions when God will put a strong impression in someone's heart. What I'm appealing to you is this. Be careful how you say that, whatever that is. God spoke to me and he said this and this and that. Because when you say that, you end all debate with the person you're talking to. And so be careful how you use that phrase. So it's any... Verbal, first of all, any verbal expression of God, and we'll talk more about it in a moment. Secondly, it can be the message. Think about this. It can be just the message of God in particular. Like, you know, you go up to somebody and say, hey, what's the good word? You're not necessarily asking for a specific word. Oh, the good word for today is anti-disestablishmentarianism. You all have heard that. Okay, what is the good word? I don't know what the good word is, but when you're asking somebody, what is the good word? You're just wanting to know a general sense of what good do you have to say or what, what, what message do you have. Thirdly, the word of God could be a philosophical... Now, hang with me. I know this is morning and it can be difficult, but you've all had some coffee, I trust. Listen carefully, follow along, because this is very important. Listen. It could be a philosophical and theological category as in the use in the Bible of the word logos. Now, most of you have heard of that word, logos. It comes from uh, John chapter 1 and other places, John uh, or, uh, Revelation 19, uh, where Jesus is identified as the logos or word of God. Logos is the word in Greek for word, one of the words, there's several. And, and theologians and Greek, Greek scholars and other people, thinkers, have said, what is going on when we talk about logos? You know, and they get into all these philosophical things. The Greeks had all of their ideas. And it seems that the writer John uses logos particularly to take a certain direction 
a philosophical and a theological direction. Can't spend a lot of time on it, like I said, but here, listen to what one, one theologian said, and, and I, I don't know who this theologian was but he, or is, but he was brilliant. Here's what he said. Logos is the whole concept of the divine world. Think now, stick with me, folks. The whole concept of the divine world of the thought in the mind of God. Now, get your head around that. What this theologian is saying is everything that God thinks or conceives, which is infinite, yes? Everything. That that is what the Greeks and other thinkers said was logos. It was God's reasoning, God's logic, God's thought. It was, listen, he goes on, it was the inner life. Wow. The inner life of God himself was Logos. And it corresponded, this is what just, I I couldn't hardly contain myself. It corresponds, think about it folks, to the human soul. Why does Logos, mind of God, the divine life of God, correspond to the human soul? Why? Because we are made how? In His image. Nothing else enjoys that privilege of knowing. Nothing in creation knows that. It's unique to us. Now it goes on. It gets better if it could possibly get better. It's the inner life of God corresponding to the human soul. Now, externalized, expressed in language. Personified. Incarnate. Now, if you don't have some goosebumps this morning, please leave. You must have them when you hear that. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that everything God thinks and is somehow, in some way, corresponds to you and I. And in some way, somehow, that correspondence became language. And that language took on flesh. And that flesh looked like a little baby. Amen. Presbyterians, wake up. Hallelujah. Think of it. Wow, it blows our mind. Was that what John was thinking? I don't know, maybe. Anyway, pretty good, yes? In the beginning was what? The Word, and the Word was prostomtheon. He was facing God. He was with God. He was the exact representation of God. He was the ikonos, the icon of God. And there he was. And you could reach out and touch him and feel him and hug him and hear him. Not in some subjective way, but literally hear his work. Amazing, amazing. I've got to move on. Finally, the word could be simply his promise, his bond. I give you my word. In other words, when it says the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, God is giving you His promise. So what do you think I'm going to elect as the meaning of those? All of them. Thank you. All of them. Of course, it's all of them and much more. But of course, we don't have time. We only have a few more minutes. So I'm going to focus on two very quickly. Just two of those. But really think they're all incorporated even in these two. First of all, 
God's self-disclosure, that's his word, anything he said about himself. Secondly, his promise, his word, his bond. You with me? So we're going to focus on those two. Okay, when God self-discloses, he does it in two ways. Now, real quickly, theology lesson. Those of you that have been in theology class will know where I'm going. God has revealed himself to the creation that he made in two ways. One is generally, secondly, specially. Generally being everything that you see, hear, think, or whatever. It's everything that's out there, specially being his scriptures, the Bible itself. Now, Adam and Eve didn't have a King James Bible, although some people would like to believe that he did. All they had were a few of his words. Abraham got a few more. Moses got a few more. David got a few more. The prophets and others got a few more. And so it was added to over time. But at some point, Jesus was born. And the writer of Hebrews said, God spoke his final word. Where? In Christ. That was his final word. That was his highest expression of everything that was in him. And everything, folks, listen to me, everything that's in you is longing for him. Everything. Everything we strive and crave and want, every desire, every passion that we have will leave you cold and empty until you find Him. Once you have Him, everything will satisfy you. So what Paul was saying, that's the secret to what? Contentment. I have Him. How can I lack anything else? Even when I don't have it, I'm content. When I have it, I'm content. I don't let my circumstances control me. Do you hear it, folks? Do you see the freedom in that? If we could teach that first to ourselves and then to our children, they would become completely different. And so would we. And this is what Paul is taking us to. The general revelation, the heavens, Psalm 19, this is the classic verse, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies His craftsmanship. Day after day they speak... This is nature, everything that's out there, everything you can think of, art, beauty, mathematics, physics, mechanics, everything, everything in the universe that's made in in, in material fashion. Night after night they speak. Their speech, however, is without sound. Their voice is never heard. Their message, however, has gone out to the whole world. They're words to all the universe. Do you see it? Okay? Then there's special revelation. And Psalm 19 is split almost in the middle. The first part is general. The second is special. That's why I used it. Special, he goes on now, and I think it's verse 7. The instructions. Now he's talking about the spoken, written word. The Bible. You with me? The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the souls. The decrees are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments are right, bringing joy to the heart. They're clear. They give insight. They're true. They're more desirable than gold. They're sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. They're a warning to us 
And there is great reward in obeying them. And now hear this. This is the last thing he says in Psalm 19. It's amazing. How can I know all my sins lurking in my heart? How can I know? You see, if I don't have God speaking in His general revelation, in His world out there, and if I don't have God speaking in His Word, how will I know what's lurking in my heart? What sins are there? It's remarkable, folks. Remarkable. So both the Spirit, the Spirit is speaking both in general and, and in in. Uh, special revelation. I don't have time to talk any more about it because I don't want to go over time. But let's narrow it down now. Listen carefully. We're going to narrow it down to Scripture. Scripture is what Paul has in mind. He's talking about the Bible. The Bible that you bring with you to church or you have at home or, or these words that are on this little printed page. These are God's words. They're His Word to us. And if you take the whole of the Bible and you look at it, It contains what kind of words? What do you read in the Bible? You read words of instruction. Law, yes? You read words of history. You read words of wisdom. In the Bible it says this is like that. Right? There are, there's proverbs and there's, there's songs, songs, singing. The, the Psalter. And there's a history. There's, there's history in the Bible. A history of redemption. A history of the Bible. So, so here you go. Kids, listen. If somebody asks you, parents you can listen to, but this is for your kids. This is what you can teach your children. You want to teach your children the whole Bible in three words? Who would like that? Nobody? Okay. We'll go on. Anybody want to know how you can... T- the whole Bible? There's one. Liz, thank you, Liz. And Tom. Okay. Okay, li- listen. Uh, Here's the Bible in three words. If you're awake, you're going to get really excited. Second set of goosebumps coming. Here it goes. Where does the Bible start? What's the first thing you see in the Bible? Starts with a C. Creation. What's the next thing you see in your Bible? Next thing before chapter 3, or by the end of chapter 3. What do you see? Chaos. I'm going to give them to you this way because it's easy to remember. Creation. How? How did He create? The Spirit of God hovering over the dark, over the tohu v'bohu, over the deep, over the darkness, the chaos. And He brings order in chaos. How does He do it? What does He do? Let there be... He, he, what? He speaks. Let there be light. Spirit hovering, speaking. Let there be light. Creation. How? By the Word of God. And then comes chaos. What is Chaos. Chaos is the word of the serpent. You with me? Lying to the man and the woman who had heard the word of God. It's the word of the serpent versus the word of God. Yes? You with me? Chaos. And finally, new creation. Creation, chaos, new creation. Where's the new creation? John 1.1 In Ais Halagos Kai Halagos Proston 
day on. Do you see it? Recreation by the Word of God. There it is. All of your Bible, and if you look at every story of the Bible, it is creation. Abraham, it's Noah, creation, chaos, the flood, recreation, Noah being saved out of the flood. Yes, Abraham, creation, calling him out of Mesopotamia, chaos, Abraham trying to exist in the world, but you know, Egypt and this and that and, and Ishmael and Hagar and all the mess, and then recreation, Isaac, and a new people, a new promise. Do you see it? Creation, Moses, chaos, the wilderness, recreation, the promised land, Joshua. Creation, the nation of Israel. Chaos, the judges and the collapse into sin and more sin and everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And recreation, I have found David, a man after my own heart, him. I'll make king. Do you see it? There it is. There it is. The Word of God. And His promise, quickly. His promise. This is from, I, from, from Psalm 138. Just listen, don't turn there. I give you thanks, O Lord. The psalmist is praising God. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing of your praises before the gods, all of the created beings out there in the universe. I will sing your praises before them. I bow down to your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name. Here it is. For your unfailing love, chesed. Your unfailing loyalty and love, your promise to me, your covenant faithfulness. I praise your name for that unfailing love and faithfulness. Your promises, listen to this, your promises are backed up by all the honor of your name. In other words, listen folks, I hope you're tracking with me. God so identifies His Word, what He says with Himself, that He says, he, he, that He has the, the, the temerity to say, your promises are backed up by all the honor of your Word. Your name. All the honor of your name. So when Paul says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he's, he's reaching his arms wide, he's grabbing all of that, and he's packing it down into this meaning of the Word of God. God's promise to you, God's scriptures to you, God's speaking to you in the, in the, in the Holy Bible and in His world, His creation. I posted on my Facebook, I don't know, some weeks ago, I don't know if any of you saw it or not, that people are wringing their hands. I think I've, I've, I've mentioned it to you. People wring their hands today, especially Christians. Look what the world is coming to. Yes? Look what the world is coming to. And the Bible is shouting, shouting, with the loudest of voice. No. Look who's coming to the world. 
Not look what the world is coming to. Yes, it's always been coming to forever. But that isn't what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, look who's coming to the world. The Word of God. Do you see that? It's enormous. It's great. It's something you can lock your life around. Come what may. Whatever tragedy comes. Whatever failures there are. Both in society and in our own lives. We have something that is unmovable. God has spoken. And you can rely on it. Okay, why do we need it? Quick. Why do you need it? I can't tell you everything, but here's just a few. First, you're not going to know Him without His Word. Do you realize, folks, that if God had not spoken, how would you know Him? Would you just have dreamed Him up? I would argue that, yes, we would have dreamed up a lot of things. And we did. They looked like the sun and moon and stars. And then we got clever and we started carving them out of wood and making them out of metal. Then we got even more clever and we started making them into computers and things like that. I mean, we just, we have ne- there's no end to it. Or we will take a piece of paper and, and print it and put a president's face on it and worship that. Yes? I mean, come on. There's no end to it. John Calvin said, our heart is an idle factory. It's constantly producing more of these, more and more and more. We would not know him if he had not spoken, if he had not condescended. In other words, come down. Uh, uh, John Calvin said he comes and he lisps, or he speaks as some uh, commentators have said in baby talk, so that we can understand him and know him. Otherwise, we'd be in the dark. So you've got to have the Bible, you've got to have creation to even begin to know him. Secondly, what we've already seen, you've got to know yourself. Who's going to cross your will? Who's going to come into your life and say to you, no? Who's going to come in there and reveal to you the sins that are lurking in your heart? Who's going to discern that heart? I don't know about you, but I I can never... Now, my, my wife discerns my heart. She's in the Holy Spirit there in some kind of... An, terrible league and partnership but, but, you know but i mean there, there's there's how do you know your heart we are experts at lying to ourselves yes self-deception we lie to ourselves about ourselves we lie to ourselves about each other we're afraid oh this one this way this one is where gossip comes from and insecurity and the need for approval i could go on and on but I'm sorry, I don't have time. It's a discerner of the heart. You've got to have the Bible because the Bible is the only thing out there that will speak honestly to you about you. Yes? It's not going to tell you you're wonderful. The Bible's going to tell you you are dead. And you need what? Life. And once you have life, You are now not dead. You are now alive. And you are made to vibrate and resonate with the Word. Jesus, the Word, with your Bible, with the truth that God says about you. Awesome. Finally, to know the promises of God. So I've got to move on. Let me finish real quick with this. How did Paul understand this, this sword of the Spirit? And as we've been doing... I want you to look back 
at how Paul was drawing from the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah 49. Look at what he says. Look at Hosea. Listen, O coastlands, give attention. Out of my mouth is a two, a sharp sword. I have smote them with the, with the sword of my spirit, with the prophets themselves. You see, part of the word of God is what? It is a word, folks, of judgment and salvation. A word of judgment and salvation. And Paul is telling you and I of all the armor. He's finishing with the sword of the Spirit, not because it's the most important, but, with, but without it, you are weaponless. He gives you a sword so that you can combat the problem of judgment and accept the lavish offer of salvation. The New Testament, folks, identifies Jesus Christ as this suffering servant. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, and named me my name, and made my mouth like a sharp sword. Jesus came to tell people about the ultimate judgment and the ultimate salvation. Both, both the ultimate judgment and the ultimate salvation were going to find their confluence and the place that they joined themselves with Him. Both. And Jesus said, it's me. Out of His mouth comes the two-edged sword in Revelation chapter 1. And His face shining like the brightness of the sun because He Himself represents judgment and salvation. Who has believed, listen, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like A young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, no majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely, surely He has borne our griefs and carried away. Our sorrows, he was, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. You see, judgment, that's how we look. Oh yeah, he's getting judged. Yes, indeed. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened, listen, he opened not his mouth. Folks, if he had said one word, all of heaven would have crashed 
onto the earth to rescue him. And you and I would be lost. He held back his words. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who? Who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will, listen to this, it was the will of God to crush him. And he, God, has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's you. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish, listen folks, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see you and be satisfied by the knowledge of this righteous one, my servant, many shall be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. Do you see it? The Word of God, the judgment of God, and the salvation of God laid out for you. Take up. Will you do it? Take up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. I I pray that you'll do it, along with all the rest of the armor of God. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we are so grateful that you have clothed us with this beauty of an armor that belongs to no one less than our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in His armor that we face an enemy who, when that enemy looks at us, does not see us, thanks be to God, but sees you, the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the light of light, the true God of true gods. And now we ask, Father, that you would feed us in our hearts by faith as we come to this table laid so lavishly before us with the bread of heaven, the wine, the blood of our Lord Jesus for us and as us. Father, help us, save us, have mercy on us according to your grace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.